Hey everyone, today's interview with Patrick Smith, teacher and TikToker in Tokyo, Japan, is coming right up. But before we get into it, I want you to imagine what would it feel like to leave your familiar surroundings and move to a place on the other side of the world? So, what's the first thing you think of when I say Tokyo? Me? My first thought is always crosswalk, as in the famous Shibuya Crossing, also known as the Shibuya Scramble. You might know the intersection I'm talking about. It's the one with diagonal crosswalks heaving with people walking every which way across the intersection. Shibuya Crossing is the world's busiest pedestrian intersection. 2,500 people cross here every three minutes. I always think of this intersection because it seems like such a symbol of Tokyo itself. What should be total chaos is totally orderly. Tokyo is the world's most populated city, with 38 million people living in the metropolitan area. Now, you might expect such a large city to be dangerous and dirty, yet Tokyo is one of the cleanest and safest cities on Earth. In fact, crime here is so low that if you lose your wallet, you can expect to get it back the next day, and it probably has the exact amount of cash in it as when you lost it. You can time travel on a simple walk exploring the city. Locals in futuristic fashion feel like tourists from the year 3000 as you pass them and dip into traditional temples that remain almost entirely unchanged for thousands of years. As you explore the city streets, you're likely to pass ancient Japanese architecture that's right next to a brand new gleaming crystal tower. And the skyline in Tokyo is incredibly dense. 143 skyscrapers make Tokyo one of the brightest spots on the globe to see from space. Most tourists visit the 2,000 foot tall Skytree Tower or the older Tokyo Tower for the views. But those in the know, like locals and expats, visit the Tokyo Metropolitan Government Building or City Hall, which has viewing platforms to take in the city for free. From here, on a clear day, You can see the majestic, snow capped Mount Fuji to the west and Tokyo Bay to the south. Now, there's nothing wrong with visiting tourist attractions, but expats often avoid traditional sightseeing in favor of fitting in more authentically with locals. But in a country that is 98.5% ethnically Japanese, it can feel really difficult to blend in. Especially if you're my guest today, Patrick Smith, who, as a tall black American man, stands pretty much zero chance of being mistaken for a local. But this hasn't stopped Patrick at all. In fact, he's doubling down on learning Japanese, and he still manages to maintain humility and appreciation for the expat experience. Patrick has been living abroad now for almost nine years three in China and six in Japan. Working primarily as an English teacher. 
For about a year now, though, Patrick has been leading a bit of a double life. He posts lighthearted, one-minute skits about life in the classroom to followers on TikTok and Instagram. During our interview, he had about 700,000 followers on TikTok. Today, he has almost 1 million. His online presence is exploding, and rightfully so. His posts are hilarious and totally relatable for anyone who's ever taught English anywhere in the world. This is a story of how a kid from the Midwest, not particularly great at or interested in school, grabbed hold of an opportunity to move to China after college and now works as a passionate teacher in Tokyo and an ambassador for expats everywhere. You're listening to Adventure Calls. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on Adventure Calls. I'm very excited to have you. How are you doing? I am. I'm doing very well. So where are you right now? Where, where are we talking to you from? I live in Tokyo, Japan. I moved here um, in April of this year. So it's been, I guess, what, eight months or something like that. Um, enough time to kind of get used to things here, but still feeling like, you know, new. <laughs> There are more people here than anywhere else in the world. There's so many people here. It's, it's mind-boggling. I moved just before Tokyo um, issued a state of emergency, actually. So um, I believe the week after I, I got here, yeah, they, they put out an announcement saying, you know, please stay indoors, everybody. So the first, like, two months I was here, I was in my apartment, my tiny little box of an apartment all day. Um, except for when I needed to get groceries and stuff, um, teaching online classes here. I'm an English teacher, so it was it was very interesting. Yeah, what a, what a weird welcome. Um, okay, let's go all the way back, though, because I want to talk about you being an English teacher and all this stuff, mm -hmm. but let's go all the way back. So, Patrick, where are you <laughs> from originally, and, mm -hmm. and then where have you also lived and then how did you end up in japan so basically your life story in a nutshell <laughs> okay um i'm from uh michigan in the u.s where i lived you know all the way up through high school i went to school in ohio like university in ohio then i i graduated i took a year off and just worked small you know part-time job saved money and then I moved to Beijing, China, and taught there for three years before I then moved to Sendai, Japan, up in the north of Japan. And I taught there for about five years. And then I moved here to Tokyo in April. So you went to college. Um, either somebody accrued a lot of debt for that or you somehow paid for it yourself or your parents paid for it. But it's expensive. And then you just took a year off and had part-time jobs to save money to go to China. Did you have naysayers in your life? How did you know that you wanted to go to China? Where did you get the idea that you could not follow some kind of path laid out for you like we have here in the States? Yeah. <clears throat> um, and there definitely was a path that, you know, my my parents had, you know, in their minds for me and, you know, expressed to me on multiple occasions. My dad really wanted me to go into pharmacy. Um 
because he's a pharmacist. And so he's like, this is a very like secure job and you'll be able to make good money and take care of yourself and all this stuff, which is very true. Um, but that wasn't something that I was interested in. I'm not a very smart person when it comes to, you know, all the like health and science and medical stuff. Um, I excel in other areas. Uh, so, so I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to um, study, well, I studied communications. I was a communications major in college. And the specific concentration of communications that I chose was electronic media. It was very, very much not <laughs> pharmacy. However, I was very not good at that, <laughs> that whole, whole major. And so I was like, this is not something that I see myself doing or even want to do um, for the rest of my life. My school, my university was offering like month long trips to different countries. Like you'd raise money for them yourself. And I was like, okay, I want to take one to Japan because that, that would be super cool. However, there weren't any trips offered to Japan. So I was like, okay, I guess not. But there was one offered for uh, China. And so I was like, Okay, well, China, Japan, they're basically the same thing, <laughs> which is definitely not, not the case. I was like, they're the same thing, so I'll go, I'll go to China. And so I, I raised money, I went to China, um, and I loved it. There was just so, so much that I had never experienced before as like an American. It was like my first, not my first time traveling abroad, but um, first time being in a place that long and really like absorbing the culture as much as I could. Yeah, I came back and I was like, okay, I wanna go back to China. I still had Japan like in the back of my mind, but I was like, I wanna go to China. So um, I graduated and luckily, like really ironically, my, my university had this program because they have um, a really good relationship with a couple different schools in China, in, in specifically Beijing like high schools and a couple universities where um, those universities and high schools in China would accept teachers from my university in the States um, to come and teach. And so they, so I, I went to, well, I, again, I took a year after graduating and just like worked and saved up money. And then um, I went to teach in China and there was, there were naysayers like <laughs> my parents um, and a couple, you know, people at work um, were like, why would you want to go to China? Ironically, my sister, my older sister was also living abroad. She was living in Japan, though. Oh, so so you did have a little bit of a path in your mind because someone you knew very close to you also lived abroad. Mm hmm. Yes. However, I I kind of started to develop an interest in living abroad or at least visiting, you know, Asia before she moved abroad it almost felt like she was stealing that from she me when she decided, uh, i was like no i'm gonna do that um That's but funny. then but it was nice like you said having someone do that and being able to, being able to see what that looks like um and kind of knowing okay this might be a challenge but if she can do it, I can do it. <laughs> right. Which, which I want to say, sorry to interrupt you, but I want to say no, that's, that's something that, so first of all, I actually should have started this entire conversation off by saying congratulations <laughs> because you are now verified on TikTok. <laughs> yes, I am. Okay. Which, Thank you. 
is pretty much rock star status for for anyone, I guess, under the age of 30 and also me. Um, but one of the things I love and I, you know, I, I want to talk about your TikTok fame, um, mm-hmm. which is actually true. Um, you are you are really getting really well known on TikTok. Um, but that's what I love about your TikTok for people, especially, I guess, from a younger generation now, is that what you do is you show them what it's like to mm-hmm. teach English in Japan. It's not something they yeah. have to wonder about. I mean, obviously, you don't have a camera up showing like daily lessons. But what yeah. you show is um, all of the things that you feel as a teacher teaching in mm-hmm. Japan. And what I love about that, especially knowing how long you actually have been at this. So you taught for three years in China Five mm-hmm. years in, how do you say it? Chengdu? Uh, Sendai. Sendai. Why Sendai. Yeah. Sendai. Um, <laughs> in Sendai. And now in, in Tokyo, is that it's still all fresh for you? All of these mm-hmm. mishaps and ridiculous things that happen <laughs> and like how ridiculous mm-hmm. it is to be the big foreigner in the middle of a classroom. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. I just want to talk about a couple of videos. Can I just like fangirl? Yeah, of Can course. I fangirl yeah. on you a little bit? Okay. Because I, I, I really mean it. <laughs> But there's this one where you discover that someone in your class is like fully bilingual and you're just like, (laughs) shit, like how long have you understood every word I've been saying? And if you've taught English abroad, this is the worst moment when you realize that someone understands literally everything you're saying. Um, And then there's one, though, where your students realize that you're on social media. And I wonder, like, what is that like? So you kind of what's different about you is that you're not just a teacher, like you have a full time job, but you have this other outlet, this creative outlet. So what is it (laughs) Mm -hmm. like for you to sort of have these two personalities, like you're a teacher with control of your classroom or no control of your classroom, whatever. And and then (laughs) you have this this TikTok where I tried to go pretty deep in your feed this morning while I prepared for our our interview. And you have Mm -hmm. a ton of videos. I mean, you have been making real content and and for about uh, like a year i guess but then you switched and you just started covering what it's like to be a teacher so what is it like to have those two kind of personalities yeah it's it's so strange like i again i started this about a little over a year ago and it was just something that i got into because a friend of mine was like hey you should do tiktok I just decided to actually try to do it one day. I made a dance and the things in the beginning did horribly. Like nothing did well. But I was like, this is fun though. I kind of like this. It didn't really become like a thing that I really invested time in until I had maybe a couple of videos that did really well on TikTok. And I was like, oh, like people like that that actually went semi-viral. Like people like started to follow me because of this video. My most viral video was filmed a couple months after I started TikTok. Like, I think it was maybe January or... And it was me showing a Japanese public bath, like doing like a... Like, this is where you take your shoes off. This is where you do this. This is where you do that. And that video, it has almost 2 million likes now. And so many people were so curious about Japan. And I was like, this is something that's really interesting to people. Like, just me showing a place in Japan, like got so many views and so many likes and so many follows. Like I gained, I think, 80,000 followers just from that video alone in like the course of maybe maybe 
a couple of days. What's it like on the day where you're not really like, you're not viral yet or whatever. You don't have, what do you have now? 700,000 followers on, t- on, on TikTok. So you're not, yeah. you're not there yet. And all of a sudden you look at your phone and you're like, what the hell? Do you just have, did you just have like a million notifications one day and just be like, oh, oh, I think I made mm-hmm. it. Is that, does that happen to you? <laughs> does your phone just blow up? Yeah, when whenever a video goes viral, like the notifications tab maxes out at 99, so it'll say 99 plus. I and wouldn't so, know that, so that's great to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there one. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, 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 sure. Oh, yeah, I. it's like, yeah, I don't know. I guess at this point, like every, if I wait like maybe 15 minutes and check TikTok, it will be at 99 plus, like every 15 minutes Insane. after I last checked it because I just have that many followers who are interacting with my content. But um, but back then, yeah, that was a really rare thing. So when that TikTok went viral, I think I within maybe seven hours, it had gone up to 45,000 likes. I remember that number, 45,000. I was like, I've never had a video do this well before. And from that point on, it was just Constantly, I would check my, um, I check the notifications tab and just see follow. Like this person followed you, this person followed you, this person followed you. Just like a long list of people who were following. Um, and that was that was when I felt like I'd kind of made it, and I I really hadn't even made it yet. It just TikTok so TikTok is so yeah random. It's different. The most random videos can just blow up, and the videos that you put tons of time and effort into that you are sure will do well sometimes flop. You just never really know. So even though I felt like I made it, I tried to like recreate that sense of like newness with other videos where I'm showing something in Japan and those videos have like completely flopped sometimes. Sometimes they do really well too, but sometimes they flop. You you really, I mean, do you, maybe you don't feel this way, but like I can imagine myself in your situation, you kind of do though have two lives, right? Because like you still have to go to work and probably yes, not yeah. make like a ton of money as a teacher. I mean, I'm sure you're not rolling in it being a teacher <laughs> and i don't know if you're earning from tiktok but like you're getting all these likes and notify eighty thousand people follow you in a day i mean does it feel like a split screen now yes yeah going back to that yeah it does now feel very very different because yeah i think again after that viral tiktok i gained eighty thousand. i i got to um i think i got to one hundred thousand followers um after about a week or two from that video and I was like okay this is something I'm going to invest time into and I did start to develop two separate tracks and my friends my close friends knew about it like they were very supportive and like but um it was weird doing that and like trying to like film a video before work and then going into work and focusing on the kids and my 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 day of you know classes then going home at the end of the day and being tired but, but being like I I want to film another TikTok and like spending another couple hours filming a TikTok or two. Um, that dichotomy was really weird in the beginning. And it's gotten even more pronounced since I've moved to Tokyo um, with the quarantine and everything um, in the U.S. Like most of my followers are from the U.S. Yeah. And so when the pandemic got really bad and, you know, I just moved to Tokyo and I was staying indoors because of the state of emergency that was issued in Tokyo, I had so much time to just make all these TikToks. And so a lot of people have messaged me saying like, oh, your TikToks really helped me to get through the the quarantine. Like, thank you so much for your videos. Um, But for me at that time, 
TikTok was like the main thing. Like work was secondary because there was not much work to do. Um, my coworkers at this point have all found out about my TikToks. Okay, I was going to say, so how um, long did that secret last? Yeah, it lasted for, I want to say, like a good couple months. And then I think I was still kind of getting to know my coworkers at lunch one day. And one of them asked, like, what do you what do you usually do in your free time? And I was like, well, and I was like, should I should I mention the TikToks? Should I keep that a secret to myself? I kind of feel like I should, but I don't know. I want to get to know these guys and like be open with them. So I was like, okay, I have a TikTok account, if you know what that is. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know TikTok. Um, and I, I was like, I make videos sometimes. And they asked how many followers I had. And I said, I, I think at that time I had like like 300,000 or something like that. A lot of followers. And they were, they were blown away. And they're yeah. like, you're, you're like a TikToker, TikToker. And I was like, I guess, yeah, I am. <laughs> And so they kind of spread that amongst the rest of the, the staff. But then my boss, actually, this was maybe two months ago, she found out about my TikToks. And she was like, oh, these videos are so funny. She's Japanese. And she was like, they're so great. Because I was showing her the student ones that I do, like the, the skits in the classroom. And she was like, these are great. Like, maybe we can show these. Um, you know, when oh, people come to the building, we can just have like an <laughs> iPad just showing your TikToks. So we like, oh I was like, I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind. Like, I don't care who sees my stuff. Right. But, um, um, so what I was saying before about your TikToks that I love is that you, even though you've been at this for so long, so what is this nine years now, right? That you've been teaching, been teaching. Yeah. you still like all of these things that still, just happen you're not as a teacher like all these things that are so funny like you um you don't you don't you're not like so numb to them like you're still able to experience them yeah. pretty fresh I think I think the way you react to things is the way a first or a second year teacher would too it's, <laughs> it's great how like how you can still bring mm -hmm. that all in and like you're not you're not too cool you know because I think after a while some expats they get really like numb to things yes um so how do you mm -hmm. keep how do you keep it fresh? Like, how do you stay present with these things that just happen mm -hmm. while you're teaching English abroad? I always give my students like, you know, um, um, a clean slate every day. The kids that mess up or whatever, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to hold it against you the next day. Like, everyone's got a clean slate. Whenever I start a new, a new year, I'm like, okay, this is a brand new group of kids. Like, who have maybe never experienced a class with a black teacher before. So I'm going to treat them the same way I would treat anybody, like how I treated kids my first year in, in China even. you know, This isn't something that I am going to be like, okay, like I've done this before. These kids are, they're going to they're gonna say this about my hair. They're going to say this about my skin and like be jaded and like bitter about it. Like I'm going to go into it and have fun with it. I think if you don't have fun with it, then it's teaching English abroad is it can be one of the most miserable jobs. And, you know, I, I think another thing, too, is that I, I love my kids a lot. I love my students that I teach. I think that's really important when you go into teaching to, like, really see them as individuals and do your best to, like, educate them through, like, loving them. Like, that's that's something that they're going to really take with them. They're going to remember that. Um and especially from you, sorry to interrupt you, but especially from you, because you're so different to what they know on a daily basis, especially somewhere like yeah. Japan, where it is so homogeneous. So you mm -hmm. stand out not only as an American, but like you said, you are black. I'm sure. I mean, how many black yeah. people do they see outside of 
yeah. their experience with you on a daily basis. So of course they're going to remember right. these experiences that you that you give them. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be not just American? And I know you can't separate these two things, but being American, but also being a Black American abroad in such a homogeneous, it's like ninety nine percent. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. So like, so like, what is that experience like as an American? And you've also been in China, so I'm sure you already had some experience yeah. like that. But in Japan, what is it like for yeah. you as a as a Black American? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's really interesting. Um, I get this question quite often. Like, I'm sure. one of the first videos on my TikTok that started to gain a little bit of. Um, I don't know. It started to go a little bit viral. I think it was my first video to go, to get um, up to, I think it was fifteen thousand within a week. I was so like, I thought I'd made it back then. Kind of, um, it was me ranting about being stared at by Japanese people, and I started it by like by saying, "I love Japan. I love living here. This is a great country and everything." But one thing that I really dislike about living here is that people stare constantly. Like they will. In China, people would stare all the time too. China's like ten times worse. The people are very blunt and very outgoing, and they're kind of like Americans in that way. They're just they'll say what's on their mind, and if you see someone staring at you, they're going to keep staring at you. They're going to nudge their friends and be like, "Hey, look at that guy over there," and you see it all happening. It doesn't deter them that you see them. But in Japan, people tend to be more polite. So even though staring's not polite, if you catch them staring, they'll look away. But sometimes there are people who don't do that. And on that particular day, I had just、um, encountered someone who just like staring hardcore as I was walking by, and I was making eye contact with him. He's just still staring, and it kind of got to me because you you experience that after a while so many times that it just builds up and you have to vent. And usually I can vent with like other、um, American coworkers, and we can just like talk about the crazy things that we experience. That was the first time I used TikTok as an outlet for that. Yeah, it stuff like that happens all the time. Kids will say a lot of wild things in class about me. I made a TikTok recently about how kids say that my hair is an explosion sometimes, <laughs> which is it totally. It's really cute when you think about it. Like they don't know any different. They see my hair and they're like, "What? What is happening there?" They learn the word explosion. They're like, "Oh, well, that that's like your hair. Your hair is an explosion. You get stared at a lot." I haven't experienced like racist things in Japan. Um, that were blatant and big,、um, but there have been like small, small occurrences that have that I've made TikToks about. Actually, <laughs> I was getting my hair cut in an area in Tokyo that was that had a lot of、um, foreigners living there. It's so I was walking down the street and I saw three police officers coming towards me, and it's kind of well known amongst the black community in Japan that police officers will stop us. Uh, check our ID and stuff to make sure we're legal, but that hadn't happened in all five years that I lived in Sendai, Japan.、Um, but when I was in Tokyo, yeah, those three policemen—they passed me, and I was like thinking they're going to stop me, but they passed me. But they circled around, came back, and asked me for my ID and all this stuff. And they were super polite. Like they were asking, "Can we check your pockets? Can we check your bag? Can we do all this stuff?" And I—I I suppose I could have said no. So they checked all this stuff, and they were really—they were super polite, like bowing, like they looked like almost like ashamed. And there were tons of other people around, like other Japanese people, other foreign people around. But I was the only black foreigner that was in that area.、Uh, 
Um, and so I asked them, like, why did you stop me? They were like, uh, we're not only stopping, we didn't only stop you, we've been stopping people all day um, because Rapongi, that's the name of the area, it's a very dangerous city or dangerous area in the city. So we're stopping many, many people. They might have been stopping people all day, but the fact that they came for me out of the sea of people that were there, including other foreign people who were not black, it was just like, I don't know that that's totally true. I think you stopped me because I'm black. But I didn't say that to them. I was just like, okay, and I went on with my business. So I, I really wonder, like, when you... So in the U.S., obviously, when as a, as a, as a black person, we all now know uh, the fear that happens when you get stopped by a police officer. And I think, you know, many years ago, that was not something that, like, everyone had at the ready to understand if they weren't um, black. But so what, yeah. when you're in Japan and you're being stopped... Is there at least not a level of fear like, I could get really hurt here? And does part of you feel like, this is why I like living abroad, because at least I don't fear for my life? I'm just mm -hmm. putting all that on you and making a bunch of assumptions. Yeah. But I'm just wondering, like, what no, no. is your experience as a black person abroad? Does some of your fear subside in those situations? Or would you mm -hmm. be less, more scared in the U.S. in that situation? Yeah, I think... When that happened, there was, when I first saw the police officers coming towards me, I was like immediately like, I panicked. What's going to happen? And it was because at, that was at the same time that all the like things had just happened with the, um, the murder of George Floyd and all that stuff. Um, so there was that, that initial um, fear that set in because of what goes on in the States. Um, but at the same time, I when I'm out and I see police officers, even though I do kind of, my heart will skip a beat for a second, I'm also like, okay, nothing's going to happen to me. If they stop me, that would suck. But like, that's the most that's going to happen. Like, they're not I mean, going to They're attack bowing me. to you, you said. I mean, that must right, feel really exactly. strange to have them bow. It, it was. I yeah. was like, you're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think the first week I moved to Tokyo, I got stopped by two police officers because my bicycle light wasn't on. And I remember riding by them and kind of looking. And they were just watching me as I was going by. And I was like, oh, no, they're going to stop me. And they did. <laughs> but because of the, the light, I hadn't turned it on. And there was, like, no fine for it or anything. I had just gotten the bike, like, the day before. And I didn't know how to work it. So they helped me, like, figure out how to turn the light on, actually. It was really nice. <laughs> right? It's, like, complete opposite. Like, they're so nice. Um, but I was panicked because I saw them watching me and I was like, oh no, oh no, what's going to happen? So I really, uh, so I, I think we, we, we talked a lot now about like a little bit about life in Japan and all that stuff. I would like to do a little bit of just like rapid fire questions about how. So I, I love to give people the idea of like how, you know, your why and how you ended up moving abroad and all that stuff, because I, I really, I want people not to feel stuck so they can do it. And like, these are, this was your process, but now like legitimately. So you got the job in China because your university um, had an agreement. Mm -hmm. How did you move to Japan? Were you part of the JET teaching? I was. Cohort? I was not. I I taught at a, at the school that my older sister was teaching at when we were. I was in China. She was in Japan. She had a really good reputation. She's she's an amazing teacher. Um, and so when they met me, they were like, "Okay, you're Candace's brother." Well, if you and I helped out with some of their events, like in her kindergarten classroom, I like played with the kids and stuff, and they saw that. And they were like, that's really cool. If you ever want to come work for us, like, let us know. And so that was kind of my in there. But I don't, I think I would have still been able to teach there if I hadn't had that connection. Um, 
And how did you get a visa to do that? Did they sponsor your visa? They sponsored it, yeah. Do schools in Japan all sponsor the visa? They, yeah, most of them will. Most, if not all of them, will sponsor the visa for you. So if they hire you, like if you apply and they're interested, they'll, they'll get the visa process figured out for you. They'll sponsor you. But see, that's what's interesting because, so I think what's important for people who are listening to know is like teaching is whether you like it or not, teaching gets you abroad to places where your language is your best and biggest skill. But teaching, teaching English or like using your language, being a translator, whatever it is, that's, that's probably what's going to get you a job and a visa, especially in, in a place like Japan. Right? Mm-hmm. And how many Japanese friends do you have? Have you created community? It's hard, right? It's very difficult. It's very difficult with Japanese people specifically, um, let alone any, you know, um, any native people in a foreign country. Um, it's especially hard with Japanese people because Japanese people tend to be very reserved and kind of keep to themselves. Even when you're talking with them, they don't really open up and um, express much about themselves to you. They don't even really introduce their themselves. Like they don't tell you their names. Apparently, I've heard this from friends before, but even Japanese people, when they meet each other, it's very strange to begin a conversation by introducing your, your, yourself with your name. Like you kind of talk and then after you get to a point where you are really comfortable with each other, then you'll say, this is my name. You'll talk with them. You'll maybe exchange information like, um, like line, do you know line? It's like, um, it's like what's up or, um, like WeChat kind of a thing where you can voice chat or text chat or whatever. So you'll exchange line accounts message each other and then never hear from them again (laughs) i don't think they're not amicable like they're friendly but it's just not something that they do much like opening up to people they don't know especially foreign people so do you feel like you kind of live in this like and correct me if i'm putting this on you but in like this interworld where like you're definitely living in japan but a lot of your friends and your community have just traditionally been expats. So you're kind of in this bubble, I guess. Mm -hmm. Does it feel like that for you? It, it felt like that more so when I was living in Sendai, my old, my old job in in Japan, because that was very, it was like, like I said, it was a bigger school with a lot of English teachers. So we were all like together all the time. We'd have, we'd go out, and have dinner together we go to movies together we do everything together um here um i have a smaller group of coworkers. it's just eight of us at, in the english building but we don't really hang out that much we we work together and then on the weekends we do whatever and so that's led to a lot of trying to make friends with japanese people for me and i have made a few japanese friends um that i've done like multiple things with not just like a one-time like hey let's hang out sort of a thing gone on trips with some of them which has been really nice so i would say in sendai i did feel that like i'm i'm trapped like this is this i'm in japan but i'm not in japan (laughs) but here in tokyo it's such a big city and there's so much to explore and 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 see and people to meet um there's so many people here i feel like i i am able to do that more do you think they're also more open in tokyo being such a big city are they are they more comfortable being friends with a foreigner i think so yeah but what what do you feel like is your next move? Expats often just continue moving to a new place. You have the blueprint. You know how to do it. 
Um, so are you looking to move somewhere else to stay in Japan or would you consider moving home? I, I do plan eventually to move back to the U.S. And I think I'm going to do that after Japan. So I am kind of thinking to be in Tokyo for another three years, maybe three-ish years, because I, I really want to. See, the reason I moved to Tokyo from Sendai and the reason I was there. Okay, so the reason I was in Sendai for five years was because um, I love my job. Um, despite the busyness of it and despite the bubble, I really liked it. I loved the kids I taught. Um, I loved the school was an amazing school. Like the buildings are really, it was a very like modern and like just, just very, very nice school. They had animals on the campus. Like it was, it was an amazing school, but um, the kids, I really liked my students. I connected so well with so many of them they kept me there for so long. Like that's what, that's what made me stay. I didn't want to say goodbye to the kids. Um, however, I was so busy with, with work. Um, I had no time really to study the language and improve my Japanese. So that's like my goal. I, I don't need to be fluent because it's, it's a very difficult language. And that, I think that would take me like at least 10 or more years to become actually fluent in language. But I do want to learn enough of the language to comfortably have conversations with people. Because at this point, I'm like almost there. I can kind of talk with people, but I get lost in what they say pretty easily. Um, so I think in three or four more years, I'll be able to get to that point where I can at least talk with people. And then I, it, it's weird because, well, not weird, but I feel like I'll be torn at that point because I'll want to continue that and like improve more. But I want to also go back to the U.S. and be around family. And but what I think people don't realize is actually moving home might be harder than moving to Japan, not knowing anything. All the signs are in characters and symbols that you've never seen and all these weird noises you don't know. But moving home is actually pretty hard. Um, what do you think about that you miss from home? I did catch something like you, certain fast food restaurants you miss. Um, the, what do you miss from home? And what do you look forward to coming back? And then what are you kind of nervous about coming home for? Yes, I do miss the food. Like I miss the convenience of being able to go to the grocery store and understand what everything there is and find ingredients also that's a thing too it's hard to find stuff that you can translate with google translate into something that you understand because translating from japanese to english and vice versa is it does not work very well there's it doesn't translate well so it's it's hard sometimes um i miss i miss like being around i miss the sense of humor of like americans um and like turning on the TV and seeing like, you know, commercials that are what I'm familiar with. I miss that. Japanese TV is, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. I'm not going to say it's weird because it's, it's, it's their culture, but it's very, I, I'm used to it now, but it's, it's not something that is obviously from my culture. So it's, it's just very different, very, very different. And how do you think about your identity as an American? Because right now, I find when you're abroad, you're so American because you're you are so you're so different to everybody around you that like you're definitely so American. But then when you come back, well, you're 
your 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 what do you think konnichiwa like what where were you japan like you're all of a sudden you're so different to people at home do you ever experience stuff like that when you're home on vacation or trips home to see your family and how do you anticipate those sort of things when you move back yeah i think with my family like we we stay in touch pretty often we uh, facetime like a, do a big group facetime every every couple of weeks um, so when I visit home, they're pretty much like normal. Um, but when I see friends, like that's when it's like, you know, the whole conversation shifts when I come in the room. It's like, this is the guy who's been living in Japan. So I just get tons of questions constantly. Um, and I'm an introvert. So it's like my worst nightmare, <laughs> just being bombarded with people and questions who I, I mean, they're my friends, so I'm like comfortable with them. But it's also like I'm kind of not comfortable with them because it's been so long since I've seen them. So it's like a weird thing. And I anticipate when I move back like permanently to the States, it also with TikTok being what it is, I don't know what that's going to look like when I move back to the States. I made a TikTok recently about like, Oh, visiting the U.S. on like a break and like walking through the airport and all this stuff, and it was just like a like I was trying kind of trying to say like this is what happens sometimes, but people took it to mean that I was actually visiting the states. They're like, "Welcome back. Where are you at? Like, oh, can you have a meet and greet and all this stuff?" And I'm like, "I'm not, 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 not in the states." Um, and so I don't know what that's going to look like being back in the states and having people possibly recognize me in public and seeing me as the guy who teaches English in Japan. But when you move back, I mean, I just encourage you honestly to just like share, be super authentic about how weird it is to be home because I think that's something that mm -hmm. um, I know that I could have used. I think the loneliest I've ever been, even though living abroad, like you can be really lonely sometimes because like you just don't know mm. what's going on sometimes. But actually the mm -hmm. loneliest I've ever felt is being back in the States where you're supposed to feel like home, but you're like a square peg in a round hole or whatever they say, like you don't fit anymore. Yeah. And so like right. just... I can only encourage you to just keep sharing because I think if anybody listening wants to know what it's like to teach English abroad, you have to listen. You have to uh, follow, subscribe to the paper pat is your, I'm going to just do your plugging for you. I was going to ask you to do that. Yeah, but the, yeah. the paper pat on TikTok and Instagram there is no, there is there's no way to explain what it's like to live abroad unless you 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 just see these TikToks and you're like yeah yeah that's literally my my everyday experience <laughs> and for me you know I taught English in, in Costa Rica I taught English in Guatemala I taught English in Germany and even in the UK which was a little weird because they speak English um, and mm -hmm. and we still have the same experiences like they're the same it's crazy i mean it's different right everything's That's a little so bit cool. different yeah, yeah but but the experiences are similar so if you want to know what it's like to teach english abroad or to live <laughs> abroad follow the paper pet on tiktok and if you're not on tiktok please get on tiktok because that's ridiculous <laughs> um can you share with people where they can find you i just have tiktok um at the paper pet um instagram i'm on twitter the paper pet I have a YouTube channel, The Paper Pat. <laughs> Everything's a paper pat. Got it. And I hope to check back in with you at some point when you make another big move. But thank you. I really appreciate you taking yeah. the time to be on. Um, it's great meeting the person mm -hmm. behind, you know, all of these hilarious uh, videos. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you so much. No, yeah, it was great. Adventure Calls is produced, edited, and written by me, Jess Drucker. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, then head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show.
every single rating helps so much for me to reach and inspire more people. If you're feeling really inspired and want to start thinking about how you can actually make your move abroad, pick up a copy of my book on Amazon. How to Move Abroad and Why It's the Best Thing You'll Do is essentially a masterclass in book form, taking my 15 years experience living abroad and distilling that into 300 pages. You'll get step-by-step tips on how to move abroad in 90 days, how to get your paperwork together, how to get a visa, advice on how to blend in like a spy, how to learn any language in the world, and more. Head to Amazon.com and pick up your copy of How to Move Abroad and Why It's the Best Thing You'll Do today.